Hi guys, um, my name is Alex Lacey and I'm honored to be up here tonight. So coming to college, I knew that I wanted to be a part of a campus ministry. I had heard good things about Wesley and crew from people who went to my home church, so I figured I'd probably join one of them. But then my freshman year roommate, Abigail, invited me to try RUF. I'd never ever heard of Ruff, but I figured I'd give it a shot. I remember walking into my first night at large group and seeing a long-haired intern named Joel. Now, there was no Ben at that time, actually. My first um, semester, freshman year, we did not have a campus minister. Ben came that second semester. And I remember him giving a good message, but the part that stood out the most to me was the way that after it ended, people just started talking to one another. And people even came up to Abigail and I and they asked us how freshman year was going. And it was the way that they spoke and they listened with such intentionality that I knew that this was a place that I wanted to come back to. And aside from the minor car accident that Abigail and I got into on the way to that first large group, things were off to a surprisingly pretty good start. As freshman year continued, I kept coming to large group and freshman fellowship thanks to rides from Ella Burge. And however, despite meeting lots of really nice people, I remember that my once favorite part, the talking afterwards, started to become a little more intimidating. I could no longer be hide behind talking about my name, major, and hometown. People wanted to talk about deeper things, but that made me uncomfortable. My desire to know people and to be known was coming in direct conflict with my desire to look like I had it all together. I wanted to push through these feelings, and I wanted to enter into this kind community but something just felt like it was holding me back. It felt like fear, frustration, and insecurity, and it also felt like I was the only one experiencing it. It was not until a few months later when I finally found a term that described what was keeping me from experiencing this community fully. And that term was shame. An incredible researcher named Brene Brown defined shame as the intensely painful feeling of experiencing or believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And that hit pretty close to home. And unfortunately, if we're all honest, I think we find ourselves experiencing shame pretty often. It can be one of the sneakiest weapons that Satan uses against us, tricking us to believe that we are alone in our struggles and if other people found out about our sin, that they might reject us or judge us. And these were some of the lies that I found myself believing. I fell into the trap of thinking that I could just hide from this shame. But all that secrecy and silence only made it grow and only made me feel more disconnected from the people that I longed to know. As I began to learn more about shame, I found that there are several ways to get rid of it. The top few being to name it, to normalize it, and to bring it into the light. And thank God that I had a community that wanted to do just that. I began noticing how people at RUF cared for one another how they gave each other grace, and they spurred one another on to our Savior who died for sinners. People like Emily Cartledge, Annie Reynolds, and Madeline Hogue, as well as many others, lovingly pushed me to go deeper that year. And for the first time, sitting in prayer circles and in coffee shops, I told friends deeper parts of my story. And despite how difficult it was to talk about, things like my people-pleasing tendencies, my dating history, and the hardest one being my struggle with an eating disorder. I actually did. 
And to my surprise, these friends responded with so much love despite my brokenness. And over the past four years, there have been many other moments in this community where I have gotten to know many of you. It is these moments, as well as all the prayers and all the laughs, that I will look back on with the most joy. I praise the Lord for orchestrating each of these moments and for teaching me what his gift of redemption truly means for me. But, of course, this isn't a completed process, and I'm prone to forget these things daily. But I've also learned that God's grace and his goodness covers these things, even for the struggling Christian. This is just a single example of how God has used RUF to change me. He has shown me that his work on the cross conquered shame, and I no longer am a slave to it. And that, that's true for you tonight. And I am so thankful that we get to rejoice in this never-changing truth. So I thank all of you for how you have contributed to making this a safe place where people can get deeper. Thank you for how you have shared your life with me, and know that you are in good company in this room, but you are in even better company with our loving Father. Thank you. Well, uh, it's gonna be hard to top that one. Um, uh, my name's Chandler Pylon. Uh, I'm a senior, obviously, and uh, I'm going to do a little bit of sharing. So it's been a, an interesting four years. So I don't know if uh, many of you know me, but I actually transferred in. Um, I went to Georgia Southern for a year and then transferred to UNG and then transferred here. So I didn't have a lot of the, the freshman experience or the sophomore experience that a lot of uh, the others had. So mine's a little different. It's more, I guess, thematic. So there's two themes, I guess, I'm going to discuss. And one starts off with the beginning of usually every RUF message and then the end of every RUF message. So first, as many of us know, when you first walk in or when either it's in the announcements or when Ben speaks, it talks about brokenness and how this is a place for people who are broken. And I, went our first, I remember when I first came that it, it really hit me there because I feel like every other place that I went... Um, it was like there was a, a sense of people who were put together. They knew what they were doing. Um, there wasn't struggles going on in their life. Whereas when I came here, it, it seemed that there was brokenness in a whole room. And I belonged, which is weird because, you know, not everybody's supposed to be broken. You know, we're in the southern, you know, Christian belt. And so things are supposed to be put together, right? So I guess really that, that impacted me, you know, and, and that's what kept me coming. And so to point it back to Scripture, and, and anyone in this room who really, you know, doesn't know where to search in the Bible when it comes to brokenness, um, a very great place to go is Psalm 51. I'm not going to read it because um, it would take the rest of my speaking, but uh, it's, it's about David. And it's actually a year after he was in sin, um, or he, he sinned uh, with Bathsheba, and he wrote, and he was talking about his brokenness and how he was so sad know what he had done and 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 kind of lost and I, I familiarize with that because well it feels like I've you know struggle and, and and fall every day and I'm caught up in that brokenness so you know I that's where RUF really first impacted me is that you know everyone was welcome and then that first that uh, secondly um, that brokenness was an appropriate response to sin because it's the place where we recognize 
the magnitude of God's grace and his mercy, which, again, I think Ben does a really good job at communicating to us. And so the second part of that is, you know, oh, well, if we're broken and there's nothing left after that, you know, they just keep you where you are and there's nothing great about that, right? Well, there's that last part of the message, the most essential part, is that God's grace is there. And that Ben, and, and obviously, you know, with the Lord working through him, really portrayed that message very well. So Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And that was me, or that really is me. You know, crushed in spirit and needing something more. Broken. So where was I going to be fixed? God's grace. And that message was communicated every single Wednesday. We could be talking about Proverbs. God's grace is in there. Redemption's in there. And it's in every message. And that's not everywhere you go. And that's a beautiful word. So, again, while we were a prostitute to sin, he lifted us up and called us by name. And just to end it off, um, I think it's only appropriate. Um, I, f- I really familiarized with this verse here recently. It's been, I feel like, the theme of my life uh, this semester. Isaiah 43, 1 says, But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. I mean, what better message is there? We're broken beaten up, caught up in sin, but a Savior who doesn't need to save us, who doesn't need us, self-sufficient, decided to save us and extend his grace, send his son to die for us. And that message was taught every single Wednesday and still is taught and I know will continue to be taught. So that's why it's a great place to me. It's been an amazing time and I'm really sad to leave. Kind of fearful I won't find another place like this. Probably will, but anyway, very thankful. I'm Abigail. Um, I'm also a senior, and I'm really thankful for this opportunity to share with you guys tonight. When we got asked the question, what has God been doing in our lives over the last four years, um, I was really intimidated by that, because that's a long amount of time. But I think the simplest answer that I can give for what God has been doing in my life through this community and at UGA um, has been, he's been healing me. And specifically, he's been detangling the lies that have been wrapped around my identity that have spun me into the frenzied pace that I've lived. Probably a lot of you have witnessed the chaotic state that I live my life in. Um, I'm always rushing around, jumping from place to place. And for those of you who live with me, where are my neighbors? You've definitely witnessed this chaos firsthand. Um, But as I've been reflecting on why that is, why I'm always in a rush, why I'm so restless, I've still realized that that's only a symptom of some of the deeper misconceptions that I've believed about myself. Um, That's what the Lord's been faithful to reveal to me this year, those lies that I've believed, and that's kind of the story that I want to tell today. I walked into this community as a freshman with a bundle of expectations for who I would be at UGA, um, what I could contribute, and specifically what I could do here at RUF. I thought I knew who I was, But coming out of my high school self, where I was very involved, into a place where not a lot of people knew me, felt kind of like stepping off the auto walk at the airport terminal, stubbing my my toe on a new pace of life. Um, And it was difficult for me to find my stride here. 
but I quickly searched for places of need and filled up my schedule to the level of busyness that I was comfortable with. So what I started to weave back into the identity that I'd built was this lie that it's all up to me and it's never enough. I really did view it as my job to make sure everybody found their people. Um, and while I think that God used this stage of life to build community, it kind of left me in loneliness, which really led into sophomore year. Um, I was the organizer, the bringer, um, but I also felt like a fraud, always building community, but never really feeling at home, and that no one really understood me. I wrote about it in my journal, which I always am journaling, um, saying that all my life I've lived divided, splitting spaces to abide in, sharing friend groups, crafting places, connecting people wherever I go. But somehow, during this construction, amidst the movement within the hustle, I left no room for me. Like an architect who never drew her floor plan, a developer who never built her home, I'm a cityscape with no escape, a subdivision of houses, but none of them my own. And so what really kind of started to distress me was this gap between who people perceived me to be and who I actually felt like I was. Like a bundle of balloons carried around from place to place in celebration, I was always joyful on the outside but felt so empty inside. Um, people always told me, like Alex, that I had everything together, but I really felt like I was barely holding on. So this, this is a feeling that continued into junior year. And a huge part of my college experience, those of you who know me, I studied abroad, it was, it was amazing. Um, and while I was in Cortona, uh, that, was, that was the first season of life that I felt congruent. Like there was only one version of Abigail Snyder and I was slow, I wasn't divided. God was faithful to meet me there through specific friendships and ordinary events. But coming back to UGA in the fall of my junior year, um, where I put back on all those responsibility hats, it was, it was too much. Um, it was a heavy season for a lot of you, a lot of my friends, and I was racked with anxiety, feeling once again like that fraud um, and always living in fear of my impending collapse. I felt like a worn out sweater with little snags of doubt waiting to be unraveled, but I still had to keep people warm. I was running around still thinking it was all up to me, that it was never enough, but I could never, never carry the weight of my own struggles and be who I thought everybody needed me to be. Over the past year, pandemic included, uh, God has been faithful to slow me down and show me how many of those lies I've believed. The need to hold everyone together, feeling like a fraud, and being terrified of my eventual collapse. And that's kind of what I would talk about today. I'm not sure if any of you have ever gone through physical therapy, but another part of my year was not being able to run which if you know me, that was pretty devastating. So from January to March, I wasn't able to run like I normally would. Um, I had to do stretches six times a day where I would lay down, press up, and try and basically isolate the knee pain into my lower back. Because you see, the knee pain was really only a symptom of a much deeper issue. That's exactly what God has been doing in my life this year. Um, the internal conflict and the external frenzy that I've lived in was really a symptom of a much deeper issue that I had always been ignoring. And that was the idea that I have to be savior for myself and for other people. And so as I thought about this in the context of this year, I went back to that image of me being a bundle of balloons. Um, I've always been terrified of my life drifting away 
like my ambitions would carry me too high and I would float towards the sun and pop. I've spent my whole life wrapping around my fingers these strings of my identity so tightly to ensure that I wouldn't drift away and I wouldn't let people down. But I feel like this year, God has been faithful to help me look down to see that those strings were cutting off my circulation from holding everything together. And all along, he's been healing me of my restless control, stripping me of the false identities that have forced me to trust him. And when I thought surely I would fall apart, God this year has been revealing to me that through close friends, through many of you, through weekly teaching at RUF, um, that I'm not the one holding the balloons together. I'm not the one responsible for keeping everyone happy, and even my salvation is not up to me. That ultimately, he is faithful even when I'm faithless. I want you guys to know today that I'm not fully healed. I still am terrified of next year. I don't have a job yet, um, and I'm worried that I will drift away and pop. I still tend towards a restless insistence on my own burdens and carrying everything myself. But I think for the first time, I'm realizing that it's actually not up to me and that Jesus is enough, that I actually can be the lighthearted bundle of balloons, not hiding my weakness because I'm trusting that he won't let me go. So friends, what lies are you believing today? What burdens are you bearing? As far as I can tell, we all have a certain sadness sagging from our soul, one that stems with time and stays with lies, lodging in our affections, altering our perceptions, but never bringing peace. We have a merciful savior in Jesus who longs to carry those burdens. He's king of the unresolved, and he's patient to unravel the tangled mess inside of us, telling us to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest for your souls, to take his yoke upon you and learn from him, for he is gentle and lowly in heart. I'm really gonna miss you guys. Um, I have been so thankful to be a part of this community, and I'm really excited to see what God does in each of your lives over the next year. Thank you. For those of you all who don't know me, uh, my name is Noah Kirshner, and I've been involved with RUF ever since the beginning of my freshman year. It's weird to be up here at this point. Um, when I was a freshman and my intern, like Alex said earlier, Joel, who only a few of us know at this point, um, he talked on his last night, and I thought, hmm, that would be cool to do on, you know, my senior night, and now I'm here. So freshman, just know it goes by fast. One thing that I don't think a lot of people know about me is that I really and truly love old hymns. I have more than one Spotify playlist of my favorites, and I have a YouTube playlist of instrumental hymns and songs that are played in old churches on the organ. Um, there's something that's different about these songs. I really think that there is so much beauty, not only in the music being played, but also within the lyrics themselves. Another one of these joys with these hymns is that we get to sing a handful of them here at RUF like we've been doing for so long. One of which has been my favorite and has helped me during these past four years, and that one is it as well. So what I wanna do this evening is reflect on this song and using it to kind of show how it's helped me throughout my years and my time at UGA and reflect back on the Lord's goodness 
faithfulness and love. So the first verse goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The first thing that comes to mind when kind of meditating and thinking about this verse is how life was pre-COVID versus post-COVID. I remember that in March of last year, things truly seemed to be at peace. RUF had just went on an incredible winter retreat, which was given, um, you know, to us and hearing about the importance of rest that Clay Warner was teaching us about. We were on our spring break, which was giving us just that, a break from the busyness of our normal semester workload, and then all of that changed. The sorrows of being separated from our friends were real. The sorrows of not being able to see family members, of being stuck, isolated, alone, and feeling helpless. It goes to show that these different phases in life of joy and sadness can hit truly at the craziest times. However, the important thing is to remember that we must have a community of believers to surround ourselves during those dark times and even when they're joyful. And that's what RUF has been for me. A community of believers that is ultimately united by the truth of scripture and the work of Christ. It's not perfect. It's not the church. There are always things that could be done better. But it still constantly provided peace during the trials of my college years. And according to teaching that pointed me towards the gospel when I may not have been heading towards it in my own willingness. Another verse says, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. This verse truly makes me reflect back on a lot of my hardships in college. Freshman year in particular was a really, really dark time in my life. Obviously, there are a lot of challenges that we all face going into our first year of college, like leaving home, being away from family, being pushed outside your comfort zone. You all know if you've experienced it. But I felt a lot of loneliness early on as I lived with roommates that partook in excessive alcohol abuse, drug use, having people spend the night, etc. This was a time where I realized that I was full of pride, full of judgment, and was truly in need of Christ regarding my helpless estate. Similar pride seeped its way into friendships that I lost during my sophomore and junior years, which again resulted in another stretch of loneliness for months. But yet again, I'm reminded that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. During these times, he provided a freshman Bible study that went through the book of 1 John that showed me my pride, that showed me my judgment, that showed me my lack of love towards other people. And the Lord provided RUF in this sanctuary of Redeemer as a home for me. He provided church that preached the word of God. This room is something that I'm incredibly thankful for. I became a member here, I was baptized here, and I met so many of you here. This is yet another one of the many blessings that the Lord has provided for me in the midst of being helpless and not realizing my own faults. The last verse says, 
And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Not too long ago, I was talking with Ben and some of the other seniors about the legacy of our senior class. He had us thinking about how things like freshman fellowship had been dramatically changed since the time that we were freshmen. Others talked about the emphasis of community groups that had such a monumental impact on them, or the beginning of a new and revamped creative team and social media presence. But I was thinking about it more, and I really don't feel like I'm leaving a legacy. I tend to think a lot of times that things haven't gone my way, or maybe they haven't, or times that I've failed. My mind tends to linger towards the questions of, well, why didn't we have a lot of people show up at prayer team? Why does it feel like that my ministry team hasn't done anything this year? Why does it feel like there's no fruit? But as a result, I'm pointed towards the ways that the Lord has worked through this incredible ministry. It reminds me that we are not the ones doing the work, as the Lord is using us to accomplish his will. It reminds me that we are not doing these things out of our own strength, but by a strength, the supernatural that was given to us. It reminds me of the hope that someday we get to stand before the, the throne, laying down our crowns, and seeing our Heavenly Father and hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant acknowledging that his will has been done. At the end of the day, the Lord is at work with RUF at UGA. He will be working through RUF at UGA next year and will always be working through RUF at UGA until he calls us home. He will be at work until the clouds roll back as a scroll when the faith shall be sight and it will be well with our souls. Thank you. So this is not going to be put together, and that's the first way God's been working in my life since coming here to UGA, um, and so that's just going to be that, but for starters, I am not going to do this with shoes on. I'm going to be comfortable up here uh, and hopefully direct your attention away from uh, some tears that might come and some messy words that might come out of my mouth. Um, when I first got here... There were a lot of things that I figured that I would miss when it was time for me to head out. Um, but with my time here finally coming up on its close here in a few months, there's some things about this place that I'm going to miss that are catching me off guard. I never thought that I would miss the oddly designed five-point intersections that give Jeremiah so much anxiety. Uh, I never thought that I would be missing the unbearable heat of a September game day. I never thought I'd miss the musty smell of the Firestone Room and the nights of, uh, that, of sweet memories that came from that. Um, or the strange, crusty walls of Ben's office. Never thought I'd miss that either. 
I've got to say that the next fall, I'm probably going to miss the headaches that come from troubleshooting Redeemer's endless technology difficulties. And I'm also going to miss cooking for hours in a kitchen that is literally falling apart every day. Um, I'm going to miss all of it because its absence in my life next fall means... Uh, <laughs> means that I'll be half a country away from all of you friends that I love a lot. God's been really kind to us over the years, hasn't he? <laughs> it, it'd be impossible to recount all of the ways he's shown up for us in just one night. Uh, the seniors have done a wonderful job for that, and I want to let that speak for itself, so I want to be, be simple tonight. In the moment... <laughs> When you're walking through the mundane parts of life, the mundane parts of your years, when it's test after test, assignment after assignment, it can be so difficult to see the fingerprints of God around you. And I think that's why God gives us endings. I think that's why he gives us these moments where our times come to a close and we get moments like this where we get to just pause and celebrate with one another. I've found that the simplest way to see how God's worked in your life is in these moments when we get to look around and see the friends that surround us and celebrate with us. When, we, when each of us first met, we were total strangers. And I've been told that I give some pretty interesting first impressions. <laughs> uh, you can, if you haven't heard the story of Jeremiah's first impression of me, he, quote, hated me. Uh, and I'm glad that that has changed over the years and has changed with a lot of you. A lot of y'all hadn't even heard of RUF, as Alex said, before y'all showed up at UGA. And the first time uh, you came into this place, you were like me. You had no idea what this community would come to mean to you. And during our time here, whether it's been one year or four years, he's been kind to turn us in from strangers into family. As we look around at the people in this room, I'm flooded with so many memories that I'm gonna cherish, so many friendships that I'm gonna hope to continue with y'all. We shared a lot of tears and a lot of laughter and a lot of delicious food. I can't count all of those treasured adventures that we've had these three years, what you've joined in me with, um, the ways that you've let me into your life just to work through things with you side by side. Life is really hard. I'm so thankful for how you brought me into that. I'm, what I'm most grateful for, though, is with each of the things going on in each of your lives, you took the time to embrace Jackie and I as, as your friends as well. Our, our lives here weren't a one-way street. This is the community that actually first celebrated our engagement. This was the first community <laughs> that was eager to bring Jackie into our new home. This was the community that excitedly and eagerly watched our Facebook Live messy pandemic wedding. You were all so excited to bring my wife into this family and have loved her so well. You have <laughs> loved her so well in the world's worst year to do a transition. She was uprooted 
Have y'all made her feel like at home, feel desired and loved? <laughs> you made it easier to see that the heavenly, f- you, you made it easier for me to understand the heavenly family that Jackie and I have been adopted into. And so for that, really all I want to say is thank you to all of you. I want to love all of y'all for a lifetime. I'll be excited to have a never-ending fellowship with you one day in heaven. I can honestly say that I know Christ better than I did three years ago before, because of how I've seen him show up in our friendships. I know Christ better now because of the mutual love this community has for one another and the stories that you've shared with me. And so to all the seniors, isn't it cool how God can turn a bunch of bricks into a place that we're going to have so much nostalgia over, that we're going to reminisce over and that we're going to miss? This community is going to miss y'all so much. And I'm going to miss y'all so much. You've given so much of your lives to this community over all these years. to help, And you've given so much of your lives to help make the kingdom shine through here at UGA. You've loved this campus well. And so thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for how you have helped Christ, Christ to become more real to each of us. And so to all of you who are staying behind, who still have more years here in Athens, who still have more stories to live out, I love (laughs) y'all. If that wasn't clear, I'm going to miss seeing y'all every single week. The word I want to leave y'all with is this. The beauty of this community has been one that's 21 years in the making. God working through 21 classes of people to love this community well and love this campus well, to continue bringing in strangers and making them family. And so I want y'all to see what you've inherited next year. You've inherited the opportunity to keep that legacy going, to open yourselves up for God to use you in the lives of one another, to open yourselves up to love campus and to make his love more known, to make his justice more known. And so as the, time of so as the time that some of us have here is coming to a close, know that you have the opportunity to love the people next to you. Know that you have the opportunity, brothers, to love your sisters well. And sisters, you have the opportunity to do the same. If there are ways that God is calling you back into fellowship with him, calling you back into mission with him that you're stiff-arming, just stop. It's so much more fun to join him. It's so much more fun to love one another instead of letting hardship reign through your year. And so if you have one more year here or three more years here, make it count and just do that by loving one another. Let the love of Christ shine through this community. And if you are here and you don't know this place to be a home for you, This place has been a hard place to permeate into. I pray that you will stick around. I pray that the people here will love you well in the years to come, and that you'll get to know all these same things, all these same stories, to know God in all these same ways. Um, 
and I pray, I pray that each person in this room is sad to leave it. Because it wouldn't be a talk for me, the final thing that I get to say if I don't quote a Marvel something. What is grief but love persevering? If you leave this place sad, it's because you've opened yourself up to it, to be loved by it. You've opened yourself to love it well, and God has worked through you powerfully. So let that be the case. Let yourselves be sad when your time has come here. Rejoice over what he has done and the friends that you've made. And to Jeremiah and Casey, y'all are real ones. Y'all have been my best friends during my time here in Athens. And Madeline, if you're watching this, you as well. Uh, I'm so thankful for y'all, um, the way that you've made this place feel like a home to Jackie and I. Uh, it wouldn't have been the same going through this year without y'all. <laughs> I couldn't have imagined uh, trying to do this year if y'all weren't here beside me and beside Jackie and I. And to Ben and Anna, the two who love us so well and are always the ones that we leave behind, thank you for being such good friends, for opening up your home to us, your family to us, <laughs> to helping make Christ more vivid and a more intimate friend to us. You do it so well, and you do it so faithfully. I want to cherish y'all's friendship for so many years to come. I'm thankful for what you have meant to me. You've been a family to me during my time here in Athens, and I thank you for how you've signed on to do that for more and more students and more and more interns and more and more campus staff that get to come through this place. And that's all I got to say. And so <laughs> thanks for listening. I hope you've been more intrigued to know who this God is tonight by hearing the words from the seniors and from myself. Um, so thank y'all for being the friends that you've been. Yeah, there we go. Trevor, let me speak to you first, you and Jackie, because you spoke last, and then I'll come back to the four seniors that spoke and the 40 that you represented, and then all of us. Um, Trevor, you're right, you do give weird first impressions. Um, <laughs> the first one I can remember, well, the first one I can remember is when you came here about two months before you moved here, and you stayed with us, and... Um, I don't know, like we came back to the house for a few hours of a break before we went back out to do something and you were just spread out on the living room couch, I think like taking a nap with your shoes off. And Anna were like, were like oh wow, he feels right at home here. This is gonna go well. And then my next most vivid memory is in the Firestone during the first kind of, I guess, taco party, freshman taco party kind of thing that we were doing when you had just gotten here. And I knew you'd come from App State, this really big ministry. I knew you were a really gifted guy and uh, had good first impressions of you as ministry, but I remember seeing you at one of the high top tables back there, standing alone for just a moment, and you had this deer in the headlights look, like, oh my goodness, what am I gonna do? Overwhelming. And then um, Annie Reynolds' first impression of you. Y'all might not know this, but Trevor had an allergy that he was not aware of, but he was allergic to his laundry detergent. 
that he bought when he first moved down here, and so everything that he wore was producing a big reaction on his skin. And uh, his first football game, I believe, uh, he had gone to this thing and was just sweating profusely, was really tired, was starting to swell up, had just scratching himself everywhere, a little bit disoriented, and he had started to walk back to his car, I guess. And Annie Reynolds, if you don't remember her, um, amazing girl, best storyteller I've ever met. Annie Reynolds had heard about Trevor. She knew who he was, and she saw him at the gas station at Five Points, the Shell. And she drives by, and he's kind of uh, disoriented, wandering around a little bit. And she's like, Trevor? Trevor, like for RUF? And he answers her just kind of disoriented. He's like, he didn't know who Annie was. He's like, uh, yeah, I I'm Trevor. So she like gets him in the car, and he's like, where are you going? I'll give you a ride. You don't have to walk anywhere. And so he, she takes him back home. And for about a year and a half after that, thought that he was like hammered, <laughs> had gotten so drunk at the football game, he couldn't last until the end of the game. And so it started to walk home. He was sweating. He was wet. He was disoriented. And she went back home to a lot of her roommates and she said, have you met Trevor? <laughs> I'm concerned for him. I loved that she held that story for about a year and a half before sharing it, just the image that she had of me for so long. You also had a first impression, Trevor, of people not knowing what to do with some of the conversations that you brought with you to UGA. Conversations that three years later would end up changing this place and the people in it, and the people that have passed through it, and the people that, um, that we can reach. And that uh, leads me into the, just the, the brief places my mind went when I was thinking of how to encourage you uh, on behalf of this community. This isn't me encouraging you, this is us encouraging you. You remind me of Jesus, um, because Jesus is a prophet, and he's a priest, and he's a king. And you remind me of him because you have the eyes of a prophet. You see things that other people don't see, that they should see, that we should see, that we had our heads stuck in the sand to or weren't wanting to look at, and you saw it. You see people that other people don't see or don't see as well. Some of you in this room perhaps have never felt as seen as you did when you met Trevor and you started building a relationship with him. You felt a little bit more at home. Here's someone who maybe doesn't share my background, but gets it. You felt seen. And some of you have felt like it's just been you advocating for you your whole life, and finally you found somebody else advocating for you and arguing your case or pleading your cause, and you felt relief in that. I don't have to do it all my by myself anymore. So you've reminded me of Jesus because you have the eyes of a prophet, just like Jesus had. You remind me of Jesus, you remind us of Jesus because you're wise and you have a strategic mind and you can lead. I didn't uh, realize this. Um, it probably took me two years to realize how similar we are. And I think the reason we uh, discovered this is because we would be like supposed to be getting together to talk about life or whatever and like two hours later we were still talking shop and like redesigning stuff and rethinking everything. And I'm like, we've got to stop doing this. We have a problem, like no shop talk. But what came out of a lot of those conversations, if you've benefited uh, from things like 
freshman fellowship, Saturday discussions. If you've found a place to meet people and serve on the way that ministry teams are done, if you've been on a mission trip to Puerto Rico or Panama City, those all almost started in Waffle House over those conversations. And Trevor, it wasn't just helpful to me, you were a friend to me because leadership is lonely and to have somebody else who gets it and can sit on the other side of the conversation was a blessing to me and a help to all of us. You're also, um, you've got a king, king's heart like Jesus because you do courageous things. You raise money and it's been hard. For three years, you've raised $90,000 to come here and do this. So every minute Trevor and Jeremiah and Casey aren't with you, they're thinking about money and calling people to raise it to have lunch with you. Um, and that's hard and that's courageous. You've grown as a teacher and a preacher and that's hard. And you felt the difficulty of that. You kept getting up here and leaning into that. And I respect that and admire that. And you remind me of Jesus because you have the heart of a priest like he does. You might think, if you don't know Trevor, here's a bro. He wears tank tops. He wears flip-flops. He's always talking about Marvel and NCAA basketball or whatever. But Trevor has held some of y'all's grief in a very tender way, right? He's been gentle with you, so approachable that he happened to be the guy that you felt safe putting it all out on the table with. You have the heart of a priest to empathize and suffer with those who are suffering and to laugh and rejoice and have fun with those who are having fun. And Jackie, I bet you didn't know when God brought you to Athens that he'd be using you as deeply as he did. Big time. I hope you know that. I think you know that. It's obvious for everybody else to see. Uh, you're not Trevor's wife. You're Jackie with her lane of what God is doing through you and has done through you this past year. You've delighted us, you've served us, you've helped us, you've counseled us. And so it's with sadness that we say goodbye to y'all too in a couple of months. Now I want to say to the seniors, and this is to all of you seniors, not just Alex and Abigail and Chandler and Noah. You spoke about what the secret of RUF is and really the secret of the church. Um, if you don't know RUF, you might think that what's, what happens in this building on a Wednesday night is the main thing we do. And that's understandable why you'd think that. It's visible, but it's not the main thing we do. It's the thing that catapults us into the main thing that we do. The main thing that we do is what happened at cookout last night with 50 of you freshmen around all those little tables. That's the main thing that we do. As we're having fun and you're closing out an amazing year, but we're also in vulnerable ways putting out your real questions in front of your friends. And we're listening and we're talking. The main thing that we do happens Saturday morning up there and the conversations that happen at lunch after that. They happen at College Square. That's the main thing we do. The main thing we do happened in your living room at two in the morning when you were there for a roommate that no one even knew was struggling as intensely as he or she was. That's the main thing that we do. The little encouragements. The main thing that we do is you sitting in your car, some of you new people terrified to walk into this room because you didn't know anybody in it. That's the main thing that we do. That's where Jesus is at work. I shared this uh, last week with another meeting that was here, but there's these two lines in the end of John's gospel that we talked about last fall. And fascinating lines. If, if all the things that Jesus said and did while he was here were written down, the world could not contain all the volumes, all the books. Then John says a chapter before that, um, there were many other things that Jesus said and did 
that we're not recorded here. In other words, the overwhelming vast majority of what God in the flesh did during his 33 years here on his planet, saving his people, has been lost to history. Nobody knows about it. Nobody got news about it. No one, no one followed him with a camera crew. And it mattered just as much. So this is a thank you to the seniors who are giants among us and the leaders among us. And a thank you to all the rest of you too. The ministry that you do, whether it's with one person in Bulldog Cafe or 15 people in a small group or 200 people because you lead us in worship, that's Jesus working in the shadows. And he's not ashamed to work there. He prefers to work there, specifically to the seniors. I don't know if you realize this. The first few sermons that I preached when I got here, which was six months after you got here, was on exile and loss and wilderness. In fact, one of those first messages uh, was entitled An Exile's Survival Guide. And I didn't know you yet. I didn't know about your class yet. I didn't know all the dynamics. I didn't know what it was like to get here freshman year and there's not a campus minister and there's a really faithful couple of interns and a really dedicated you know, upperclassmen who are pulling freshman ministry together but kind of still was coming along. I didn't know until later that junior year was really hard for a lot of you. But then as I got to know you, I knew last year was really hard and I knew this year was really hard and I knew that you're sick of unprecedented semesters because you've had three of them now. And I knew that you experienced a lot of loss in your time here. And I didn't know that those first few messages that we would have together, the first few places in the Bible that we would go together would be thematic in a way of your time here. Starting in a place of noticeable loss and ending in a place of noticeable loss. I just want you to know that I'll never remember this class as being defined by what you lost, but defined by what you built. And defined by who you became in the midst of the loss. So you got here, and the next year, y'all were the ones who built freshman fellowship that exists today. Y'all built it. You were the prayer group leaders. You were the ones pulling that together. You were the ones who built out these teams of ministry that 130 people serve in now and get to know each other. You built that. You were the ones who were the glue that held the community together in the midst of transition. You were the ones who did that. You built it. And it was in the midst of great difficulty. And I don't want to overplay that. I know college was awesome for you, and I know God did a lot in you. But it was hard. And one of the things we said back when we were looking at Deuteronomy 8 and Exodus and the other places where God talks about what he does in exile is he says he clarifies who he is to you. That though you lack everything else, if you have him, you have everything. And he's clarified that with you. And looking at your faces, remember the coffee shop conversations that we've had. He has clarified who he is to you. Has he not? And he's clarified who you are. And he's lifted your chin and helped you see him and your need for him. And, friends, he's clarified who we are to each other. And I am proud to say this. That in three and a half years together, um, we went through some difficult things together. Sometimes maybe I was the cause of some difficult things. Some, some decisions that were made that you didn't understand or that were wrong or whatever. Some conversations where we were getting to know each other. And what I found 
was clarified in the past three and a half years is what we have here is real because it stretches and it doesn't snap. It holds. It's held and it's deepened. And we're all different people because of it. The last thing I want to say is to everybody in the room, because I know some of you have probably never been here until tonight. This is a, a wonderful night for you to come and hear Jesus show you what he's done in the lives of a lot of people. But uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the seniors said this, but we stand up every week and we open our Bibles because what helpful things do I have to say? Not much. But God has a lot of helpful things to say, and here's what we get up to proclaim every week. Here's why this is a place worth investing in and sticking around, even when it's hard, even when there's loss, to continue to come back and to pour yourself out. Paul says, sit down for this news, buckle up, make sure you're listening. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. And he saved me, the worst of sinners, to prove to all of those who would believe in him his perfect patience. We gather together not just because this is some fraternity or sorority where we talk about religious stuff. That's the reason we're here. It's, it's the only hope that we have. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Romans 5, Christ died for us while we were ungodly, not after we became godly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, not after we'd cleaned ourselves. While we were enemies of his, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. We preach a patient God, not just because we need a patient God, but because that's the only God there is, and a gracious God, and a merciful God, and a God who came not for the clean, not for the righteous, not for the okay, not for the needs a little bit of help, but for the sinner, and the struggler, and the sufferer, and the broken, and the shamed. And every person who stood up here tonight and talked said it in a little bit of a different accent, in a little bit of a different way, but we're all telling the same story. And that invitation is for all of us, Christian or not, new to this or old to this. Jesus is patient. And Jesus is for sinners. Do you see your need of him? What are you doing with him? Do you take him at his word? Do you believe that saying is trustworthy and true and worthy of your acceptance? Test him. Come to him and find out for yourself. Let me pray for us. We'll sing one last song together and we'll leave. Lord Jesus, you are our hope. We gather together and we're about to sing again about good news. Good news is reality. Reality is good news. You've made it good news. You've turned it from a nightmare into a dream. You've replaced groaning with laughter to put a new song in our hearts. We, above all else, thank you for this past year, 30 weeks of a refuge, an oasis, where we got to taste and see that you're good. Hear us now as we lift you up and make much of you. We pray this in your name. Amen.